ask bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this moment in time. Thank you for giving us the strength and the resolution and the tenacity to overcome all the white noise in this world, all the ridiculousness of the sinful flesh, Father. Thank you for giving us truth that always sets us free. Thank you for giving us this ability to repent whenever we're awry. Father, we just pray for our continued humility that we lay ourselves, our lives down at your feet and hope and pray that we always remember how much you've done for us and how much that humility and honesty and integrity before you matters to you, Father. We thank you for this moment, this message that's about to be preached. May it hit home. May it strike true in the hearts of those that need to hear it. Father, we pray for those in the congregation that aren't here this morning for a variety of reasons, some of them legitimate, some of them otherwise. We pray for them for their healing, whatever that may mean. Father, we pray for those that are still lost in this world without hope, that they be humbled as well before it's too late, so we might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for the thing that makes all this possible, that is the work of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We do just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, part 55. Uh, you'll have to bear with me. I'm quite agitated this morning. Had to deal with some ridiculous myself uh, this morning. So uh, that's just Satan trying to get the best of us as a congregation. So just, uh, I don't know, be grateful you got a tenacious pastor standing before you that stands by the grace of God and the mercy of God and a love for you. Amen? All right, just know that these tests, these things that go on behind the scenes, they are like never-ending. You know what I'm getting at? Like never-ending. And it's always someone close. It's always someone in the inner circle that he uses in his disgustingness. Do you follow what I'm getting at? Yeah, I know. I hate to start it off that way, but that's what I'm dealing with. You know what I'm saying? That's what I have to deal with sometimes. I have to get... The, 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 the calendar doesn't stop, does it? It's 10 a.m. on a Sunday. And if you were the enemy, what would you do? When? Right before. It happens almost every time. I'm not kidding you. Almost every time I stand behind this pulpit, something comes up. Right? It's like clockwork. Do me a favor. Help. Please. Help in your own way, please. All right, with that said, we've got to regain our footing with Proverbs 17 now. 
as we are getting ready to make a transition from the topic of family. So he's had an off, I don't even know, I didn't count. We've been on Proverbs 17, 6 for a long time. And it's been great. Challenging, but great. Go to Proverbs 17, verse 1. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Breathe. Hmm. Proverbs 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. We did a lot of work on that. Don't lie to the Lord. The Lord sees your heart, so don't lie. You understand what I'm getting at? That was part of this morning's little issue. Someone lying to me not coming to truth when God sees the heart. You know what I'm saying? Just be honest. Be forthright. Repent. Recover. Move on. Verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker, and he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Verse 6, grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. And so that's been the crux of our messages as of late on marriage, family, you know. And I, I did look back. We started this series, Proverbs 17 Wisdom, in, on June 4th of 2020. Imagine that. And it's almost February. And we've got, what, six Six verses so far. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. Seven months on a mere six verses of wisdom scripture. So it just goes to show how incredibly jam-packed the Bible is with content. Six verses of holy scripture has given us seven months of messages. It also goes to show why the Bible needs to be our top priority our number one priority, our top priority. And I say this, and I taught on this not too long ago, maybe a couple years ago now, I can't remember. I say this with all other so-called Christian publications in view, including my own. I say that with all of anything else, even the so-called well-written Christian publications. The Bible has to be our top priority. And let's face it, technically speaking, We've got much, much more than we could ever absorb in a single lifetime with just this one book. We do. We have more than we could ever absorb in a single lifetime, one book. So where does that put every other book? It puts it outside of the realm of necessity even. Can you read other books? Sure, if you, know, if you get encouraged and stuff like that. But it's not necessary. 
The only book that's absolutely necessary is this one. Technically speaking, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Um, after all, I mean, it's the only book that is described as God-breathed. So this leads us to our first principle of review up here on the board. If you want your perceptions to match reality, then you must possess the truth, a.k.a. the light, Ephesians 5, 13 to 14. If you want your perceptions, you know, what you think you see, to actually match what's really there, according to God, who sees things perfectly. If you want those things to be with an equal sign between them, if you want those things to be the same, then your perceptions must be based on the truth right here. This is where you get your spiritual vision. If we refuse the good counsel on the board, persisting in our insistence that we can, by means of our own willpower, let's say, pull ourselves out of dysfunction, we are essentially tightening our own noose. It's like, it's like pulling the noose even tighter. No, 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 I got it, I got it, right? No, 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 I got it, I got it. It's just like this up here on the board, the Chinese finger trap. <laughs> no, 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 I got it, let me pull harder. If you've never been in one of those things, that's so frustrating. The harder you pull, the tighter it gets. You know, that's the same idea. No, 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 I got it. Let me, let me just pull a little harder. Let me apply a little bit more willpower to this situation. No, 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 I got it, I got it. And, and you're tightening your own noose. You follow? That's what the Spirit's been saying. I suppose if you want to you know, choke yourself out, that's what you would do. Continue to pull harder and harder and harder. It's like, you know, remember Subclio in the, in the Greek, kicking against the nets. The harder you kick the more entangled you get. The more you wrestle with a net, the more, you know, messed up you look. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. The more you insist on your, quote, light, the deeper you sink into the deceptiveness of darkness. I mentioned this on Thursday, but it's worth reiterating it again. There are two series worth re-listening to on your own time, one of them is the deceitfulness of sin up here on the board. These are popular do-overs. The gospel, salvation, and sanctification. You can go back to September 2000. That literally is the cutoff point. If you go back to that point in time, there's only two messages before it. And then it falls off into the abyss. Because remember I got rid of, I think it was 1,400 hours of messages, I think, I got rid of. Because they didn't have the gospel properly you know, in there. So I said, let's just start over. So you're going to go right back to the beginning of this ministry as far as the, the rest of the world is concerned. The other one is the deceitfulness of sin. 74 parts. 74 parts, right? The deceitfulness of sin itself. Thinking and telling you that there's nothing wrong with what you did. There's nothing wrong with what you're thinking. There's nothing wrong with what you're saying. Matter of fact, be a moron and argue to the point ad nauseum. That's tightening the noose. Do you follow? That's the deceitfulness of sin. Continuing, insisting on persisting in lies, in non-truths. 
That's the deceitfulness of sin. Again, the point the Spirit's been making with us as of late is that in the absence of truth and light, you will be deceived. And there's no getting around this basic fact. There's no getting around it. In the absence of truth, you will be deceived. It's not a matter of, you know, maybe I will, maybe... No, you will be deceived. You are already deceived. And if you persist, that deception grows. And you need more lies and more justification to keep that that original lie that you refuse to deal with, to keep it pristine and keep it in place. And so you pad the original lie with more lies. For what? To preserve that one thing that you're rejecting. You're rejecting God's viewpoint on. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's the deceitfulness of sin. If you persist in your insistence that you don't, you know, quote, need said truth and light, then you will only dig yourself a deeper hole that ultimately might take you longer to get out of. Up here on the board, the deceitfulness of sin, the more you insist on your, quote, light, the deeper you sink into the the deceptiveness of darkness, your insistence drives you deeper into darkness where you are less and less likely to, quote, see it all as truth. We saw that in Ephesians 5, 13 to 14a. Here's our reference passage up here on the board. Ephesians 5, 13 to 14, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light or truth. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Just, I just want to see it all. Lord, just show me it all. You see my heart better than I do. Show me my heart. Where am I at right now? Why am I doing this? Why am I thinking this? Why am I saying this? Where am I at right now? Show it all to me. As the Spirit pointed out on Thursday, even a, you know, a little lie, let's call it just for the sake of construct, even a little lie can wreak havoc in your life if you allow it to persist as truth and light in your soul for any length or period of time. Remember, I like to use that physics analogy where, you know, you're one, if, you know, if the truth and the way and the, light, the life is this way, one straight line, and you're one degree off. Well, that one degree, a couple of weeks, a month later, the separation is much bigger than it was the, the first day because it just veers off, right? The longer time goes, the farther you get away. That's how it works. As another analogy, hopefully this helps. Lies are like Lego blocks. Everybody remembers those. You build these giant fortresses, you know. Lies are like Lego blocks in the sense that they build upon one another on top of one another, like in layers. And once several lies join forces in your life, it's difficult to even identify the original lie because it becomes buried. Say you start off with one red Lego, right? And all the rest are blue or yellow or something like that, and you just build on top of that. You don't even see the original lie. You don't see the original Lego because it's been built upon. 
it's part of the foundation, but you don't, you don't see it in everyday life per se. You don't identify with it even because it's buried deep, right? So it becomes buried in a foundation of lies that comprises your current life or your current status quo. Now concentrate. Some of you might be suffering from this phenomenon right now. Like literally, like this day. This could be you. He could be saying, you've got a Lego in there, an old lie that you've clung to that's wreaking havoc in your soul. Right? So listen up. A person who lives a life of lies very often doesn't even know why they are miserable anymore. That little lie can cause so many problems, so much misery. And a person who's built upon it, you know, lie upon lie, build this infrastructure called life around in a, what was a seemingly a small lie. They can't even identify why they're miserable anymore. They're just miserable. In other words, when your life looks like the Taj Mahal of lies, it's difficult to understand that a lie that's deeply buried underneath a slew of others is the primary cause of your misery. For example, and men, you're just going to have to bear with me because we're all going to have to pretend we're women right now. Suppose you're a married woman with kids. Okay? Again, men, bear with me. Suppose you're a married woman with kids. Your feminist mother decided to implant a lie in your soul at a very young age that women should have authority in a family, over the man even, and that God's word on authority orientation being given to the head of the household, the man, is archaic and no longer applicable. That lie alone is enough to cause you horrible misery, especially if you begin attending an Orthodox church like this one. As you, and again, men, bear with me, as you and your husband and even your kids begin learning this truth about marriage and family, the whole house of cards begins to show signs of cracking and falling down. And for a long time, you can't understand what's been agitating you so much lately. All you know is that there's a major conflict stirring in your soul. Something just is not right. And these messages about marriage and family that come from Holy Scripture, they're bothering the heck out of me. And I don't even know why yet. They just, you know, like rub you the wrong way, you know what I'm getting at? like a cheese grater, you're like, this is killing me. So you have two choices. Go digging for the root cause of the issue, or do what a lot of women do. Quit on the truth. Quit on the truth. And maybe if you quit on the truth, you know, you play the game of finding another church. I don't know. That's less intent on actually giving it to you. Less integrity, in other words. I mean, you might even seek out a so-called, and I say so-called with quotations, a woman pastor, 
They don't actually exist, not by the hand of God. They are self-appointed. There's no such thing as a godly woman pastor. But maybe you do that thing. Maybe you, you, know, you go seek yourself out a woman pastor. Well, think about it. A woman pastor has fundamentally already rejected God's authority in the church. So what do you think will lace her sermons? She's going to be spending a whole lot of time on authority orientation? I think not. She's already proven herself she's rejected God's authority. This is why the Bible teaches God-ordained pastors, like myself, to stand firm in the truth, so that, hopefully, said truth makes it into the souls of the deceived. And if and when they are humble enough to receive this truth, they are indeed set free by it. Go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Second Timothy four verse one. Paul giving Timothy encouragement, laying out the land here. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. This is, what I was, this is the scenario we're in the middle of. The time will come when people will not endure sound teaching. They do not want the truth, in other words. But having itching ears, oh, in, in the New American it says wanting their, te- their ears tickled, Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I'm just going to go shop around for a church, in other words, that's less offensive to my flesh. That allows me to keep that little pristine lie. Pristine. Like, keep that little lie that my mommy or daddy told me or my whatever my flesh really likes. It's okay that you live like an ass. Oh, an ass. Jackass? Better? It's okay if you live like a jackass. It's just a little, you know, it's just a little lie. What do you think people do? They don't want the truth because the truth blows that lie up. It says it's okay to live like a jackass. Do you follow? And so they find a church that never teaches on that subject. Why? For obvious reasons. They're trying to preserve the little lie. Matter of fact, they've barricaded it with the Taj Mahal of lies. So they just look for a church that feeds the preservation of that lie. Verse 4. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I mean, it all starts with harmless little lies, right? 2 Timothy 4, 5, As for you, always be what? Sober-minded. Do not be intoxicated physically or spiritually. 
sober-minded. Always be what? I want to hear it from the back. Thank you. Always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. But here's the issue, continuing with our scenario. Even after all of your searching for peace and contentment, you cannot escape the simple fact that something is wrong. Ever been there? I have. Right? You've been, you're like, what's wrong? I, I get these messages, but geez, when I hear them, they're like a cheese grater. And, and something is very unsettled in my soul. Nobody else, only me? All right, so there you go. You get to this point where you've been protecting this little lie. And when the Spirit makes a point of poking it, like Hebrews 4.12, goes right to the marrow, whoop, right to the point, because that's what the Word is able to do, you get really uncomfortable, but you don't know why necessarily, because there's a bunch of other lies that you've been living in that pad that one lie. So you live in this state of discomfort. Um, so you cannot escape the simple fact that something's wrong in your attempts at securing happiness are still not producing real peace in you. I mean, you want it. I mean, who here doesn't want peace in their life? I do. But you just can't seem to find it yet, right? Why? Because, in the, in the case I described here anyways, you remain insistent on keeping that little lie your mother implanted in your soul as a little girl. That men are, I don't know, somehow incapable, or even buffoons, you know. And women need to take control. And without you really knowing any better, that one lie has been built upon over the years, encouraging additional lies to grow roots. So you have a whole system of thinking regarding marriage and family. Right? You have this whole system of thinking regarding marriage and family. Um, and, I don't know, we'll just, let's just take this to completion. You're still the woman. Sorry, guys. You're, now, 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 you're the one who wears the pants in the family. All because of a little lie. You're the one who wears the pants in the family. You're the one who has slowly beaten the spirit out of your husband until he's like a little lap dog. You're the one who advocates that little lie that has caused all this dysfunction in your family, all this, quote, unidentifiable misery. And you're the one who goes on to teach your daughter the same little lie your mother did. And here's the thing, parents, listen up. Kids aren't stupid. I know, I know. You haven't met mine. <laughs> I'm not talking about IQ. I'm talking about having eyes and ears. Kids aren't stupid. They are watching their moms and dads. I mean, who else have they got to watch? Who's supposed to be the role model? Well, we learned an awful lot about that past couple months now. Kids aren't stupid. And just for the record, it doesn't matter if you go to church or not. 
or you know what you claim to believe is true. You should go to church. You should proclaim the truth. But he's making a point. Going to church doesn't make you a great example. Your kids are watching you. They are watching your actions, your decisions, your relationship even with one another, husbands and wives. Your kids are watching that. As a little side note, I was thinking about this because this just, I mean, this just goes in every direction. The family is like a grenade. When it, when it blows up, it just goes in every direction. It's 360 degrees. There's just dysfunction, just thrown up all over the rest of life. Um, this is why young women often willingly subject themselves to lifetimes of misery by marrying weak men. For some, that's all they knew since their father was a spineless male. As the spirits highlighted so many times from the pulpit up here on the board, what's the message? I'm going to write this book someday, I promise. It's literally going to start off, what's the message you're sending? Right now it's about your kids, but what's the message you're sending when you live out your lies? What's the message you're sending when you contribute to the dysfunction of those you suppose you love even? What's the message you are sending? Do you follow what I'm getting at? So in other words, you can do this. Oh, I love you so much. But do you? Because when I watch you, I don't see love. I see selfishness. I see weakness. I see arrogance. I don't see love. I see love for you, for yourself. That I absolutely see, but I'm not seeing it towards me. That's the message you're sending, mom, dad. That's the message you're sending me. And so, for some poor kids, that's all they grew up with. Spineless men send the following messages to their children. Quote, I don't love you enough to fight for you. Who here isn't fighting with their flesh? All right? It's a fight, isn't it? Okay. But if you love someone enough, you'll make that fight happen for their protection, for their benefit. Amen? Okay. Kids know that. Kids absolutely know that. That's the proof in the pudding. You can do this all day long. Kids want to see. I want to know. I want to be confident. I want to be secure. I mean, almost like every kid, and I'm not saying there's not chemical reasons for this, but it feels like there's this huge wave of uh, insecurity and even anxiety among kids nowadays. I wonder why. They've got no security in their home. That's why. And the world just takes advantage of them. They have no security in their home. And so the world says, hey, listen, I know you're not getting it from your parents, so here's what you do. You work as hard as you possibly can. You get on this treadmill, and you never stop until the day you die. You're going to be completely exhausted. And oh, psst, at the end of it all, you ready? You, it's not going to have done anything for you except exhaust you. And then you're going to be resentful and bitter. There you go. Anyways, spineless men send the following messages to their children. I don't love you enough to fight for you. That's the message. It doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. 
I love myself more, so I'm going to protect my own selfish interests by allowing your mother to rule the household, for example. Because it's easier for me to just let her do it. I'm tired of fighting that. I'm tired of fighting my own flesh and her flesh. Well, you shouldn't have got married then. Because you knew the day you got married that you were going to be dealing with two people now. Right? And Tashuka. Anybody know Tashuka, right? That woman's going to try to dominate you. That's part of the curse, my friends. If you're not willing to put up that fight, then you shouldn't get married. Is there anything worse than for a young lady to conclude that her father doesn't love her enough to fight for her? Is there anything worse for a young woman to conclude that her father doesn't love her enough to fight for her? I don't know. I doubt it. I mean, not as a young child anyways. Think about all the Spirit's been teaching us about the responsibility God places on the family, starting with the head of the household, the man. And consider that he's taught us recently of where children are supposed to first learn about his love. How tragic is it when a man fails to fulfill his duty to God by showing his own kids something other than godly love? It's a complete tragedy, and it's heartbreaking. Hence, the guidance we've been receiving from the Holy Spirit up here on the board, Ephesians 5, 15 to 16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Walking, folks, right? Not just gum flapping. Careful how you walk. Careful what you do. Careful of your example. I'll reflect on this. It's made me think about this. And this stuff, by the way, not only do you have to deal with all that ridiculousness this morning, but this message is heartbreaking to me. Like, these are really hard to teach, just so you know. They're not easy to teach. I know they're not easy to receive. Some of you are like, you should be out here. What do you mean you should be out here? It goes through me first. It goes through me first. So... I was thinking about this. I recall a young family that started attending our services a few years ago. Um, and they came, I think, for like a couple of years, on and off. And the husband and kids were pretty much engaged, but the wife was not. I could actually see it in her body language, especially when I taught messages like this one on marriage or family or authority orientation in the home. She'd literally sit there with her arms crossed, not even turning the pages of her Bible. I'd say, go to, and I'd look. And she's like, you can go to pretty much. What's the message she was sending me? You can go to hell, buddy. I ain't turning pages. I don't listen to my husband. I'm certainly not going to listen to you. I remember it as plain as day. And the, the craziest thing, she didn't sit over there. She sat right there. Like, literally, I would look up and she'd be like this. I'm like, man, can't you like move over there somewhere? Are you doing this on purpose? Satan. <laughs> Sadly, eventually, the family stopped coming here. And I was fortunate to have a conversation with the husband sometime later on the topic of their departure. 
He literally told me to my face that his wife threatened to leave him if he persisted to come to this church. Why? Because she didn't like the truth. That was, those are his words. She didn't like the truth. And to this man's credit, he admitted that he was uh, too big of a wimp. He literally, I'm pretty sure he used those words. It wasn't kind words towards himself even. I think he used the word wimp. I'm too big of a wimp to stand up to my wife. I mean, to his credit, at least he's being humble, right? Like in that moment, at least he's being honest. Uh, as a little background to help with that, that was his second marriage. And he had already been through one divorce that had involved an older daughter. So he had an older daughter and a younger one and a little boy. So the memories of that dysfunction, I'm sure, were still lingering. You know, that's very painful. Uh, but I remember actually thinking, uh, thanking him for being so honest. Uh, nonetheless, in that moment, my heart broke for those little kids. He had these two adorable little kids, and one of them was a little girl. What's the message he was sending his little girl? Or his older daughter from his previous marriage? What's the message he was sending his daughters? This guy's life was leaving a wake of dysfunction in the souls of his daughters. Again, up here on the board, what's the message you're sending your kids? Spineless men send the following message to their children. I don't love you enough to fight for you. That's the message. Could I fight? Yeah. Will I? Nope. But I thought you, I, I thought you loved me. I do, to some degree, but apparently I love myself more than you. I love my own creature comforts more than yours. I love my own drama more than yours. I love myself more, so I'm going to protect my own selfish interests by allowing your mother to rule the household. And I still think about that family from time to time, obviously. I'm teaching about it. And my heart breaks all over again. And to be fair to the whole equation, the whole scene, right? Um, I wonder what the little boy is growing, or how the little boy is growing up, living in a home void of godly leadership. What's the message he's sending the boy? It's okay to let the woman rule the roost, so to speak. I have in my notes, E-G-H, or E-G, U-G-H, period. Ugh. Ugh. Again, Here's the point of review the Spirit's making up here on the board. The deceitfulness of sin. The more you insist on your light, the deeper you sink into the deceptiveness of darkness. Your insistence drives you deeper into darkness where you are less and less likely to, quote, see it all as truth. Back to the conclusion from last time up here on the board. If you want your perception to match reality, then you must possess the truth, also known as the light. I'm also really hoping you all read this week's blog because it talks about God's love. Speaking of love, it talks about God's love. The power of his love is so incredible that it makes us unflappable in our hope. We set our sights on the Lord and all is well. Amen? We set our sights on the Lord 
and all is well. But what about the case of the family who fails their children by sending them the wrong message about love? What if they're a negative contributor <laughs> to the idea of love itself? Um, that love, you know, is, is selfish and subjective. That it's toxic, controlling, manipulative, tyrannical even. What about the poor kid who has to grow up in a home where the finalist, the, the finalist, the father is a spineless human? What about that kid? Where the father's too arrogant, a.k.a. weak, and self-absorbed to stand up and fight for his own kids? What about the little girl whose mom is a closet feminist, even though she goes to church every week? Sadly, these kids only grow up knowing dysfunctional love because none of those things are, are godly love. None of them. That's the whole point. None of them are godly love. They don't even understand what godly love looks like because they've never experienced it. Meanwhile, across the street from that dysfunctional scene, Across the street is a home with a strong man leading his marriage and his family and his wife being the responder she is loves and adores him for laying down his life for her and her children. And the kids respond in kind, obeying their parents because they respect and love them. And when they hear Holy Scripture tell them, up here on the board, something like Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. When the children of godly families read this verse, they say to themselves, of course! Of course I want to obey my parents. They love me, and I love them. And I want to do what is pleasing to them. And the Lord, because that pleases the Lord. I want to do what's pleasing. Of course. We love each other. I don't want to disappoint my parents. I want to do what makes their life easier. What's the difference between the two homes that are only separated by, say, a few hundred feet and a road between them? Love. That literally is the difference. It's love. All of that was to force us to reflect on the different pathways we can take in our families. And as the blog pointed out, godly love makes us tougher than nails. Right? Makes us tougher than nails. Who, who in here is going to say that life is easy, so to speak? Oh. Right? There's like a million and one reasons every day to be grateful for him that we're able to stand firm. Because whatever love we have is able to thwart the fiery dart from getting in and penetrating us and bringing us low and depressing us, right? And bringing us back to the dysfunction we grew up in. That's the beauty of godly love. That's the beauty of godly love. And of course, so of course God wants that love to be the preeminent factor in a family, in a marriage, so that, 
so that kids can start off on, on the right foot when they go outside the home, not continue in dysfunction junction. Godly love makes us tougher than nails. Hence this week's encouraging blog up here on the board, The Untouchables. The Untouchables. Go to John 15, verse 10. John 15, verse 10. John 15, 10. Reads, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is how you become untouchable. You ready? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What did we read read earlier? Be sober-minded. Do you understand? Sober-minded. Not intoxicated with your own lies or the, the lies of the world. You keep his commandments and you will abide in his love. And the, 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 one of the greatest areas where this is proven out is in the family. Is in the family. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In other words, he goes, I'm not just waxing poetic here, guys. Matter of fact, these words are going to be recorded for all of human history from here on out. So Jesus was very selective in what he said. He said, I'm not just telling you to wax poetic or try to, you know, beat you down with the rod and say, obey, obey, obey. No, he's like, this is to your benefit. If you want to live a joyous life, a peaceful life, a life of some contentment, then you keep my commandments because that's what keeps you inside the sphere of love, of godly love, of godly love. Up here on the board, that your job may be full. What about your joy? Why does it say job? It's not a job. That your joy may be full. That's pretty funny. I'm changing it right now because it bothers me that much. All right? That your joy may be full. Don't miss this. Obedience is the basis of your joy. Stop. Don't read any further. You ready? Some of you came here this morning miserable. Some of you made me miserable. Right? Because there's a ripple effect. Okay? The reason for your misery is because you're disobedient. Can I get an amen? There you go. It's literally that simple. The reason for any misery you've got this morning is because you're a disobedient little brat. Right? And for as long as you persist in that thing and make the rest of our lives miserable, the more you're going to be miserable, the more you're going to stay miserable. If you stay on that vector long enough, guess what? You're going to be more miserable, and you're going to be more miserable, and then you're going to be more miserable. Right? Until a message like this or a a stand-up guy like myself tells you to your face, you're out of line. Repent. You're out of line. You're miserable, and you're making me miserable. Stop justifying your ridiculousness. Amen? Yeah. You want joy? Obey. If the word of God says, be sober-minded, what do you do? 
You remain sober-minded. Does that mean you go out and have about 10 drinks tonight? Get drunk? Then justify your ridiculousness? Does it? No. Wake up! That's the whole point. Wake up! You wonder why you're miserable, why you live a miserable existence. This is why you're disobedient. That's the whole point. Jesus said it very simply. Well, how many times have we read this passage, honestly? John 15, 10, and 11. In the last, I don't know, six months alone. Right? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Elsewhere he says, you'll abide in my love if you keep my commandments. Remember? It was vice versa. It was like locked like this. Boom. And again, he's not waxing poetic. He's not just like, hey, hear me speak and wave my hand over crowds. He's like, no, I really love you. Unlike the world, I actually love you. And I want you to have some of my joy. I want you to have my peace, the peace I promised you, the peace I give to you. But here's the thing. You've got to be humble. You've got to obey. You've got to be sober-minded. Don't miss this. Obedience is the basis of your joy. Who isn't joyful when frolicking in love? To be in love is to bask in joy. Who wants to argue that point? To literally be in love, to abide in his love, is to literally bask in joy. This precious love is a function of your obedience of your obedience. So, if we synthesize a little here, we can conclude. If we obey, we abide in his love and we are untouchable. That's the point of the blog. We're untouchable. Right? We're, we become unflappable. Sure, some stuff's going to get through, but for the most part, we're going to stand firm. To shorten that all up, if we obey, we are untouchable. To put in a more well-formed statement up here on the board, an obedient person is a protected person. An obedient person is a protected person. Does that make sense? Listen, you're going to leave here this morning and you're going to go right back out to your life. And it's filled with horror stories. <laughs> it, it, there's just a big dam building up at the foot of the door out there of lies waiting for you to cross the threshold and be like to just flood you with lies right the only way you're protected is if you obey this that's the only way you're protected if you're a disobedient brat you are no longer protected right you no longer he says if you keep my commandments that's an ongoing thing. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Obedient person is a protected person. So, if you want to keep all that misery at bay, be obedient. Men, lead your families, starting with your wife. Protect them by being obedient yourself. Set a godly example for all in your household to follow. 
Don't be like the man in the story, the weak one, who loves himself more than his kids, to everyone's detriment. Don't be that guy. Obey the word of truth and abide in God's love. Isn't that what we just read? It's literally what we just read. Obey the word of truth and abide in God's love. And when you abide in his love, it's infectious. Next thing you know, you love your wife, you love your children in a godly way. You lay down your life. What did Jesus say? Greater love is no one than this. He lays down his life for his friends. Jesus, if you, I, I, I guess the people in your family could be in that bucket. I guess. Right? Up here on the board. Now's the time. Now's the time to receive the word implanted. Now's the time to align your perceptions with God's reality. Now's the time to protect your family. Don't worry about yesterday, so you goofed up. Or maybe you've been doing good. You know, you don't rest on your laurels, you don't beat yourself up for something you can't change. That was yesterday. Now's the time. Right now. Please be encouraged with what the Spirit's been teaching you lately. Go to Romans 12, verse 9. Romans 12, verse 9. I am shocked I haven't lost my voice yet. Really. Satan tried, didn't he? Romans 12, 9. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Again, the point on the board, now's the time to receive the word implanted. Now's the time to align your perception with God's reality. Now's the time to protect your family. The truth is you will be persecuted. But that's no matter when you have the promises of God. Again, up here on the board, an obedient person is a protected person. Oh, I didn't fix that one, DJ. An obedience person. That's supposed to say obedient. I fixed one. I forgot it came up again. I scrambled in my irritation this morning. And I screwed up. See what happens? Nobody's completely impermeable. Somebody, You get affected somehow, even in the slightest little ways that just irritate you even more. But anyways, I apologize about the typo. I found it early and corrected it, but it was kind of rushed. And so anyways, imagine it says obedient. An obedient person is a protected person. That's what the Spirit's saying. It's not about a beat. It's not a Sunday beatdown. This isn't WWF, right? It's not like Jimmy Superfly snooker off the top rope. I climb up here. Woo, Lois, right? I love you. That's not what's going on here. This is like hardcore, you know, wake up, snap in the foot, wake up. Obedient person is a protected person. If you're miserable right now, if you've been suffering from certain things, blah, 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 it's because you're disobedient. It's literally that simple. Keep my commandments, you abide in my love. If you're in the sphere of God's love, you're protected. Read the blog. You, you become, quote, untouchable. Right? You're untouchable. And then you don't, 
you don't seek alternative uh, remedies even to your misery at that point because you're not miserable, right? You don't build lies upon lies and then try to justify it afterwards. You go back to the truth. It says, well, where am I being disobedient right now? Well, there's a few spots. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, well, correct that. Maybe just maybe, maybe the, the word of God is actually true and you'll stop being miserable in that area of your life. And you'll be protected. Read Ephesians 6 when you go home. The very armor of God. That's the word of God. Let it do its job in your life. So here's my advice. Uh, you know, stepping way back, thinking about even that scenario I painted with the, the woman being told the little lie when she was young. Jettison the lies you were told as a child or in some former life or from the media or wherever you got your lies from. Get them out of there. Like, stop protecting them. Stop justifying their existence even. Stop protecting them. Get rid of them. See them, see it all as truth, and go, out. Out. I don't need you here. You cause a lot of problems, mister. <laughs> right? You find that little red Lego at the, begin at the, at the core of, of you? you You've been causing problems for decades in my life. Get the hell out of here. Or you can protect it. Right? Nope, nope. Take that one, put that one in the closet with the other skeletons. Close the door. Stand in front of it like a sentinel. Yeah, yeah, well, you guys are laughing because you know it's true. Right? It's true, right? We're sick. 1 Peter 5, 6, go there. Avoid the lies that are cast at you like nets every day. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Are we doing on time? We're doing good on time. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. First Peter five verse six. <clears throat> what did Peter have to say? Right? And Peter, by the way, speaks from experience. Don't you remember what he what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan, because your mind is set on on uh, things of man, not on the things of God. And here he is, out of his experience. Okay, let me write some stuff down here, because this is this is for real. Right? Peter, speaking from experience, humble yourselves. Take it from me. <laughs> Take it from me. I had the good Lord call me Satan. Ow! <laughs> what does he say in his experience? Humble yourselves. Right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at a proper time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Oh, there it is again. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Do not be intoxicated in any which way. That is dissipation. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Who's easier to devour, a drunk person or a sober person? At least a sober person can run. You follow what I'm saying? Who's the lion going to go after? Who do you think? The drunk person. Well, you can be drunk spiritually, not just physically, or both. 
But here's the guidance. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Do not put that to the test. Don't put God to the test. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ last time I checked. So how do you stand firm in your faith? You do this. You hear the word of Christ, the word of God. That's what protects you. That's how you resist him, right? Obedience protects you. Learn it, own it, live in it, abide by it, obey it. That's what resistance looks like. Amen? Seriously, this is, what, this is what he's saying. He's like, humble yourself. Resist them. Stand firm in the faith. Not that phony stuff that you've been trying to justify, the little red logo that you got in the closet. Uh, Lego. Not, none of that. I'm talking about the truth that sets you free. The stuff that's able to actually protect you. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. Knowing that. The same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Should we lead in here? You know what? I think I'm going to end there. Can I get an amen? amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning's message. Thank you for the fervency from the Spirit, because that's what we need. Thank you for giving us the truth, because that's what we need. And thank you for promising us your freedom, because that's what we hope for. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls, Father back to our homes, our families, our marriages. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.